Hi, this is Tim Burgess, a singer of the Charlatans, and you're listening to Six Pack with Ryan and Gareth. I've got time for one more round and a six pack to go. One six pack to go. Welcome back to Six Pack, a podcast in which a couple of old drinking buddies share some favourite tunes and a six pack of beer. We'll choose a year, spin six tunes and down six beers. I'm Gareth and I'm joined by my furry Ewok friend, Ryan. <laughs> furry Ewok. Is that, is that a Return of the Jedi yeah, reference? Well, this episode, we'll be playing music from the year 1983. 1983, what a cracker. There is so much material mm. in this year. Did you find that when you were looking at stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of a year that I kind of remember quite well. I'll tell you, one of the songs I'm playing, Gareth, is one of the first records I ever bought. Okay, yeah. A well, single. All right, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that later. I'd have been buying records around about then. I was 12. I was so. six. Right, okay. Yeah. And I was definitely into bands like Eurythmics and Police. It was a bit early for that for me because I was so young, but I did buy um, a couple of... Uh, 45 singles. Yeah. Classic year. Yeah. Some good films going around then as well, which is why I'm, I'm, yeah, I, and I t- mentioned my little Ewok friend. <laughs> what did you call me? A little furry Ewok friend. Yeah. Is that Return of the Jedi? I thought it was yeah. 84, no, isn't yeah, it? 83. Uh, I saw it at the cinema actually with my, my uncle took me and my brother to go and see it in 84, but that must have been when it came out in Australia. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, plenty to talk about, and we've got cool guests oh, this week. Oh, scrape one, isn't it, Gareth? Yeah, um, we chatted with him the other day. Who is it? It's special guest drinking buddy, Tim Burgess. Yeah. Tim Burgess from the Charlatans. Yeah, he was good value, wasn't he? Great having a chat with him. And he um, really insightful about the year 1983, and he said he was 16, and when he heard the song he picked, it was kind of life-changing for yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. You which is cool. Mm. I dig the charlatans. I think they're yeah, cool, it's cool really man. funny. Like, because I guess the the charlatans were part of that whole sort of Manchester thing of the Stone Roses and everything, weren't they? Yeah, I guess so. They were always on the cover of Q magazine. Huge around ninety, ninety one, ninety two, yeah. And, um, and then later on as well, when they sort of made some later records. In yeah, the late and 90s. they're yeah. coming out here. They're touring Australia. They're coming here soon, and that's why we're talking to him because he mentions the, the Aussie tour. We'll give all the dates for that yeah, a bit we'll later. Do that a bit later. Yeah, cool. yeah. Excellent. And we're going to have some grog. Yeah. So the guys at Bintani, Gareth, they've given us Fixation Obsession. It's a session IPA. It's 4.6%. It actually says on the can, this beer is vegan. Okay. There you go. And let me read you this. It says an easy drinking hoppy pale ale brewed for when you want to kick down a gear and enjoy life. Life is short. Drink fresh. Let's yeah. have a sip of these so, ones. So session IPA implies that you can sort of, it's lighter, but it's still 4.6, so it's not. Yeah. Mm, there's no meat in there. <laughs> there's no meat in that beer. It's mm. vegan. Mm, you have to have some iron tablets when we wash them down. Yeah, nice. Let's set the year in 83 a bit. There was so much stuff going on. Mm. I'm actually going to give us my classic um, Oz American English okay. trifecta. Which is easy to do then. Oh, so easy, You're man. not playing down under, are you? Man, Land down under, no. That was a hit for us in 83. I think it was a bit earlier. It was 83 here. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But you're not playing that I'm one. I'm not playing that one. 
Well, there were so many big bands around there. Oh, it's huge artists. Insane, if you look at, isn't it? You look at the list, you know, Madonna came out Shoot, then. Madonna had her first album. Bowie's Comeback Stuff, which was yep, huge. Yep. Billy Joel was top of the charts. Yep. Uptown Girl. All that I stuff. I thought you might be playing that one. <laughs> no, funny and, and Gareth, another one along Innocent that. Man. I'm not playing um, Legs by ZZ Top. You'll, right. you'll be pleased to know. Or it's Toto Africa. Oh, it's, um, it's crazy, isn't it? Mm. Massive year. Uh, Should we talk about some non-music related things from 83? Well, and then the, maybe you can give us a tune. Okay. One of the biggest books in the UK at the, that year was Adrian Mole's Diary. Oh. Diary of Adrian Mole. Right? Hey, I remember that. Written by Sue Townsend. Yeah. So big for people like of your generation. Of my age then, yeah. you know, it was perfect for me. And I went back to the UK recently and found all my old diaries. Yeah, God, that must have been disturbing. Of the same era, right? So, were you reading Adrian Mole? I was, which maybe Maybe that's why you wrote it. Possibly, yeah, maybe a bit inspired. I was reading some of them the other day, and they are kind of. Weren't you like you discovered you're a horrible little asshole? Well, it's insightful. (laughs) It is insightful because it's around about the same age as my son now. So, me me reading these diaries kind of puts me in his (laughs) shoes and the sort of stuff that made me on his mind. Except the Falklands War is going on. Yeah. Kevin Keegan's got his poem. As I mentioned to you the other day, one of the uh, one of the things I saw read in there was an entry where it says, uh, "I went to McDonald's today, got a Big Mac. The girl serving behind the counter had a thin blouse on, and I could see her nipples." And that's that's the sort of stuff I was reading. Do you about. know, Gareth? That's the sort of thing you'd say now at age fifty-one. <laughs> you go, hey, hey, I went to the bottle shop, and the girl serving behind the counter well, had a thin blouse on. Well, funnily enough, in that same year in nineteen eighty-three, we're, we're, we're going to up our female listenership uh, like, by this episode. Yeah, go in nineteen eighty-three, they also released Hitler's diaries in. Um, yeah, 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 and they were fake. They were fake. Yes, I remember that. But I'm just wondering if, like, Hitler was writing, uh, you know, <laughs> when's down to local beer hall? <laughs> so Fraulein had a thin blouse I, I, on, I, I could I, see her nipples. I saw Eva Brown's uh, <laughs> uh, knee. <laughs> yeah, he, um, saw her kneecap. Yeah. Ooh, it was exciting. Hey, Gareth, what about this? Tee up your song. You can introduce yeah. us. I'll just give us one um, quick one. Yeah. In the world of TV, MASH ended. Yes. After, you know, I think it was nine years or whatever it was, the MASH finale was in 1983 and 125 million Americans watched it. Mm. I think it was beaten by Seinfeld maybe later. And the thing is, it actually lasted longer than the war that they were. Yeah, the Korean War. The Korean War itself, yeah. And um, that ended, but um, Fraggle Rock started (laughs) on HBO. Okay. Do do you know Fraggle Rock? Mm -hmm. Uh, that was one of the first shows that HBO did who went on to do Game of Thrones and The Wire and... And, um, uh, Sopranos and, and all that sort of stuff. Curb your enthusiasm. Curb your enthusiasm. So yeah. Fraggle Rock. And I was a bit old for Fraggle Rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. That but, was um, but that was what I was doing in 1983. But you must be up for a song. Let me start with this one from yep. uh, a dude from Boston. A okay. A bit quirky. Yeah. Yeah, number one. Song one. Starting to talk now. It was just getting good, don't you know? But if I leave here yeah. in the morning, what will the neighbors tell your wife? I'll worry about that. Oh, My wife knows me. Oh, 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 
I don't wanna let the neighbors run my life. No. I don't wanna let the neighbors run my life. No. Suspicious, I suppose, and I know why they'd want to know. They like my wife, they don't want her hurt, and so if that's all they see, I wouldn't blame them if they go and tell my wife. But my wife knows me, so I don't need to let the neighbors run my life. many things to discuss. Sure you did. First I showed her the daily newspaper. That's right, then I showed her the funnies. There was no one's business in fact. I don't really know what the whole point was. I'm just intent not to let the neighbors run my life, you know. No need to let the neighbors run my life. No, 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 of course not. That's right. Okay, so last featured in our 1975 yeah, episode. You played him way back. That is, of course, Jonathan Richmond yeah. and the Modern Lovers then? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Jonathan Sings is the album and yeah. a song called Neighbours. Neighbours. It's funny, Gareth. I was thinking of playing a song off that album called That Summer Feeling. Yeah, it's, uh, as well. I, it's and definitely a record I wasn't listening to back then for no, sure. No, 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 of course yeah, not. So. And, and it doesn't sound 1983. Like that could be, you know, from basically, I don't know. 20 years either side of that yeah it? absolutely it doesn't really have that sort of any signature no, sound but of he's that. a great singer songwriter and mm. it's about what's he sneaking around having an affair well, is of he of course he's not no he's no. just showing her the newspaper and the funnies and all oh. that stuff so there's not no of course yeah. not cheeky yeah you know how just earlier I said um, MASH ended and Fraggle Rock began mm-hmm. I've got another one Karen Carpenter died and Amy Winehouse was born oh there we go yeah We've talked about Karen Carpenter before. Yeah, she tragic. died of anorexia. Anorexia nervosa. And, and funnily enough, tragically, um, Amy Winehouse died later and she was born in 83. Yeah. I saw her once in a bar in uh, London. Remember that Barden's Boudoir in Bloomsbury? You ever no, go there? No, no, no. It was at the height of her fame in like 2007 or, or whatever and it was just like she was so out of it yeah. and like, you know. Propping up a few bars. But obviously yeah. Karen Carpenter, that was pretty tragic. Yep. Another death that year mm. was Dennis Wilson. 
Yeah, of Brian the, Wilson's brother of the Beach Boys. Yeah. One time did, of the Beach Boys, he, he, he drowned actually. Oh, so Jesus, he, he I think he was he was like he was into his smack and his oh coke and his alcohol at that point. So he's pretty yeah. much gone downhill. I think he was on a boat and he'd thrown some possessions of his ex-wife oh, overboard Christ. and then jumped in to try and retrieve them and they didn't come back. Well, obviously he was um, in tip-top mental shape when he yeah, did that. Yeah, That's sad, and, isn't it? And weirdly, he, he had requested when he died to be mm. to be buried at sea. So they got the body and they oh. you can't normally be buried at sea. Yeah, yeah, right. So... Ronald Reagan had to give special permission to to allow Dennis Wilson to be buried at sea. They had to ask Ronald Reagan for permission. Yeah, right. Isn't that bonkers? Yeah, that is crazy. He went downhill through the 70s. He he got mixed up with Charlie Manson and all that stuff, didn't he? Dennis Wilson did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Yeah, so he was mates with him, and I think they maybe try to write songs together or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah. But made a nice record, if you've ever heard his solo stuff. Yeah, okay. That's worth playing uh, maybe on another show. Yeah. Shall I uh, give us a tune? Give us a tune. Okay. Now, I reckon you were maybe possibly thinking of playing this one, Gareth, but I'm going to play it. The album was produced by David Byrne. It was sort of an offshoot of a a band we often reference from the 70s, a ska band. Yeah, okay. Uh, I've probably said too much. Let's have a listen to it. All right. I know where you're going. Yeah. Beer number two. Song two. Shield, nothing must be revealed. 
that is, of course. The wonderful Fun Boy 3. Fun Boy 3, Terry Hall from the specials. And another guy from the specials. And Neville. Neville. And, and who's the other Linville, dude? So yeah. Linville Golding, Neville yeah. Staples, and Terry Hall. I was reading up about this, um, what's it called? Our lips are sealed. Our lips sealed. And, of course, like, in Australia, we wouldn't know that version. We'd know the Go-Go's yeah, version. Yeah, because it was co-written yes. with Jane Wheedlin, the guitarist from Go-Go's, who used to kind of have a thing yes. with Terry Hall. And they met when the Go-Go's supported the specials yeah. in America. Let's give um, a little bit of the Go-Go's version. Yeah, sure. So the, the Go-Go's version came out in 81 and I read that in England, they like everyone knows the Fun Boy 3 mm. version and not so much the Go-Go's version. And obviously here and in America, it would be the other way around. I wonder if they had some kind of deal where mm. you know, we'll, we'll record a version and, and you don't release it here. I don't know. Because that was a massive hit for yeah. the Go-Go's. And of course, yeah. Fun Boy 3, they sort of launched Banana Rama as they well, did. didn't they? It ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. Yeah, they sang on that on the previous as well. And, yeah. and um. Terry Hall, he, God, he'd be a good guest, wouldn't he? He would. I love yeah. to hear Terry Hall. Yeah. Um, very cool. I like that one. Yep. I would have played it. Got any more facts? The top song from 983 was Every Breath You Take by The Police. Mm. Called later, um, covered by your hero P. Diddy. Sampled, indeed. Sampled, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, if I said to you one of the biggest movie quotes from all time came out in 1983, you'd know what it is, wouldn't you? Ooh. What's the most... Is it Tootsie? <laughs> Not from no. Tootsie. What's, was that 83? That yeah. was like 80 or something, wasn't it? What's the most cliched um, movie quote of all time? I could tell you the movie, Sudden Go. Impact. Oh, I don't know. Oh, well, I'll start it. You'll be able to finish it. Go ahead. Ewok. <laughs> Make my day. Clint Eastwood. Oh. That was from Sudden Impact in 1983. Oh, oh right, there you go. Yeah, I always okay. thought it was like way earlier than that, mm. but there you go. No. Other little facts, so yeah. we love to talk about car crashes. The UK introduced the seatbelt law for the first time. They did in 1983. How Thank late God is that? that. Yeah, That's only in the, yeah. the front seat, though. Yeah. Oh, only in the front yeah. seat. Oh, I can remember that. Yeah. And it's were in the front seat. And yeah. then everyone from the back seat in the car crash would come flying through yeah. and kill the passengers. Yeah, good stuff. And other technology that was going on, the mobile phone was introduced yeah. for the first time. First invented yeah. in 1983. And how far we've come. Oh, yeah. I normally do like new words in the dictionary, don't I? Yeah. It's pretty crap ones this time. There's, okay. not, there's not actually very yeah. many good new words. Um, but well, the word brew pub is in there for the first time, bizarrely. Okay. You know, which yeah. seems to be sort of trendy now. Most pubs are brew pubs these yeah, days. But yeah, it was yeah. In the dictionary for the first time. So the brewery is in the pub. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know why it would be in there in 1983, but it is in yeah. there. And interesting for me as an audio person, uh, yeah. the, the term MIDI was in the, oh, yeah. in the 
dictionary for the first time, if you know what that is. Yeah, um, all the listeners just turned off. <laughs> but yeah, go on. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's so the the way that people made music yeah. changed because of MIDI. Didn't you mention that with um, Dead or Alive or whatever? With, that's, that's with the sound with the Fairlight. Yeah, yeah Fairlight okay. MIDI. So people were stopping playing their keyboards. They were actually programming their keyboards okay. and programming their drum Have machines. Have you got an example more. of a, of a like what's a classic MIDI song? Things start to become a little bit more dancey, didn't they? And yeah, that kind yeah, of music yeah. can become, you know, things like Madonna and stuff like that yeah, were coming okay. through sound a little bit yeah. more programmed. Yeah. But um uh, so that was out, which is interesting for me, mm-hmm. but nobody else, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> cool, but I'm gonna play my next yeah. tune. Yeah, we're gonna talk with um Tim from I guess he's he's almost from Manchester, nearly from yeah. Manchester around that yeah. area. This track's from Liverpool.
wonderful Echo and the Bunnymen. Yep, and Gareth, if you remember, do you remember in the 2001 episode, I played the cover of that song? Oh, yeah, Solex. Yes, you did. Um, the Cutter. That's right, and we played uh, the Pavement uh, cover of Killing Moon as well. And Killing Moon, and that was Echo and the Bunnymen from yeah. Liverpool, yeah. of course. They came from out of a, quite an incestuous scene in yeah. the Liverpool. Is that like the, the Lars and all that business? No, they're, they're a bit later. later yeah. They're a bit later, but it's... um. So Ian McCulloch was in a band with um, Julian Clary. No, not Julian Clary. <laughs> Julian Cope. <laughs> oh, he was in a band oh, with Julian Cope as and in Pete shut, Wiley. Shut, shut your mouth, Julian Cope. Yeah. Was, oh, he, was, he, a, was he a scouser, was he? Well, they, they came out that scene. I don't know if yeah. he's actually from there. So, I remember that song, Pete Shut Wiley. Your Mouth. Yeah, and yeah. then the early stuff with Bunnyman was um, produced by Bill Drummond from the KLF, that incestuous scene around a, a club in Liverpool called Eric's. Eric's? Which is quite okay. a famous. Who was um, Eric? Don't know, yeah. yeah. But it was quite a quite an important scene around there at the time. Yeah, bands like Frankie Goes to Hollywood came out there as well. Were they from Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So when they said relax, give us relax <laughs> in your best Scouser accent. Relax, mate. Oh, there you go. All right. So shall we go and have a little chat with? I think we should Tim. with Tim, and we're talking about 983, and we're we're in the north of England. That's where he's from. That's where his inspirations from. Shall we do it? Yeah. Let's see what he's going to play. Yep. Hello, Ryan. Tim. Hey, Tim. How are you going? Hey, Ryan. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Well, I like the idea of this uh, this podcast. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us because you're coming over here soon and I thought it'd be a great chance to talk about your, your upcoming um, tour, your 30th okay. anniversary tour or 32nd anniversary <laughs> tour as it is now. Isn't it? And you've yeah. chosen 1983, which is a classic. Cracker. <laughs> well, um, it was the year I left school. I was... Uh, I actually left school when I was 15 years old and and uh, but I was 16 pretty pretty soon after and I'd got already got a job um working at the local chemical factory in Northwich Cheshire which is kind of just south of Manchester the town was built around um this chemical factory basically so everyone who lived in this town worked there I got a job there it was great um but I wasn't to start until after the summer uh the whole of the summer this one record was like really doing it for me and um you know it kind of like just elevated i mean you know everyone talks about everyone everyone who's older talks about the glory days of music and how music isn't as good as how it was then i mean that's wrong if you're 16 years old and you listen to the beatles that's what you're going to love. If you're 16, year old, uh, 16 years old and listening to taylor swift that's what you're going to love um you know um I was listening to this one record. Um, they were a band from Manchester. Um, two of the members of the band were from Macclesfield, I was, which is in Cheshire, and that's where I was growing up. Um, so I thought it's possible to maybe, you know, have, you know, it's possible to maybe make records that are big in New York or big in Europe, even if you're from Macclesfield. Thank you. 
what a great piece of music. It's so good. And it's such a departure from their kind of the Martin Hannett Joy Division sound of their previous. Like they, they had a record before this, but when they did Power Corruption and Lies and this record, it was just like, all right, this is something completely new. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many mem- memories, just like listening to that takes me back and it also keeps me in the present. I mean, I, I, I DJ a lot. And I play that every time I DJ and it's like, and it always gets people up as much, if not more than anything else that I play. Um, more than 30 years later, it came out in 83. What is it now? Would it be 40? 39 years. Yeah. 39 years later. So it's an iconic song. It's a part of British culture as well now, which is interesting. I mean, it really is. Um, and I remember the first time I heard it, you know, I knew what they looked like, but you didn't really hear them talk as uh, musicians or pop stars as they were to become. You know, they were, you know, um, the first reluctant pop stars that I think I ever heard about. And it also takes me into the kind of like studio boffinry. Not only is it such an amazing composition, you know, I've, I've, I've asked questions, you know, about, I know Steve and I know Bernard and I know Hooky and Gillian and, and I've asked questions along the way of like, you know, how did it come about? And they're always so flippant, you know, uh, when they're talking... <laughs> But I know that it took a week to get that bass drum sound. Amazing. When you sang, like, when you heard it in 1983, I bet you couldn't imagine the age you were that you would go on to, you know, know those guys and do some work with them. That must be kind of mind-blowing. It is. It is mind-blowing. And, you know, as with everybody else, it's kind of like it becomes natural as well. So it's kind of like in your head it's up. But at the same time, it's like, well, they know who I am. And it's like, but they didn't when I met them backstage or asked them for an autograph, you know, outside Boring Spectrum Arena when they played there. And it's like, and, you know, and I'm I'm sure Hooky has said, but that was you. And it's like, yeah, that was me. And and at the same time thinking, you don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) That's the wonderful thing about this, really, you know, looking, looking back on this stuff and seeing what really, you know, got floated your boat at the time. I've listened to the audible um, Peter Hook autobiography is about his Joy yeah. Division and his New Order and his Hacienda days, and they're just wonderful and wild, really. Um, yeah. And the the fact that the Blue Monday stuff came about through their visit to New York, really, and bringing some of that stuff back to Manchester, is interesting because that was those sounds were really from New York. Yeah. Very quickly became associated with um, the Manchester sound. Funnily enough. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, from what I remember, uh, ESG, uh, band from Brooklyn, were the first band to play at the Hacienda. Um, they only got studio time because um, Martin Hannett was recording the first A Certain Ratio album in, I'm going to say Tribeca, but I might be wrong, but, you know, um, but certainly New York. And um, so they were they were just very aware and very curious. And, and you know, and obviously if someone says, you want to go to New York, they're going to say yes. You know, yeah, and, uh, of course. And, okay. yeah. From the outside, from from anyone looking up at Manchester or the or surrounding areas, I think yeah. we thought that that was just the amazing place to be at that particular Yeah, totally. Oh. I, especially in, in Australia, we were just, you know, like when the Manchester thing happened in the late 80s and stuff, it was the coolest thing we could imagine, you know. And before then, yeah. you know, from, the, from the Smiths, from Factory, from Joy Division and all that stuff. The Hollies, crazy. also from Manchester. <laughs> and oh, the Bee Gees. Bee Gees, yeah. Bee Gees, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we love the Bee Gees in Manchester and the Hollies, you know. I mean, we're proud of the history. Um, I mean, I was obsessed 
obsessed with Marky Smith um, and uh, and the fall, you know, and and I know I know they went to Australia uh, pretty early on in in early eighties. You know that the heritage heritage is amazing. I mean, you know, like you know the Smiths and anything that was on Factory Records. The thing is for me is that um, I was born in Salford. You know, I always felt that um, you know that, that that's where my soul is. Uh, but I grew up in um, Cheshire, which is um, it was like twenty one miles away from the city centre of Manchester. So it was all so Manchester also became like a mythical place uh, that I had to go to. So I started going there like on my own. I would start to go there to buy clothes and records. Age thirteen, go to you know the underground market and buy records and punk clothes and things like that and it was just an amazing thing really um, uh, I got a, a amazing thing that you said in your autobiography which I just started reading was that you did a school trip to the Hacienda is that right? that's true yeah I mean the Hacienda was um, okay so so um, Tony Wilson uh, head of Factory Records and and you know part owner of the Hacienda was mm. a, a TV celebrity really and it was on Granada Reports you know most nights the Hacienda was when it was being built in the northwest. It was like a big deal, and um, and I don't know why we ended up going, but it was like in the very early days of it, maybe like 1981 or 1982. Yeah, right. When it was first opening, we got off a bus, ran around the Hacienda, and then I just remember getting back on the bus again. I didn't. <laughs> <it's not> that... <laughs> was Peter Hook painting the walls or anything like that? Was there? Well, I think there's a guy in an alleyway, sort of like looking a bit worse for wear. Um, and but that's that's all I remember. I remember so sort of like being pretty quickly back on the bus as well because I remember everyone getting back on it, and I don't remember anything else. So, and and it's such a weird thing. You know, we must have had a very hip, um, you know, music teacher. Yeah, that's that's a cool teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe he just wanted to go to Manchester. I don't know. Yeah. So a few years later, did you end up spending a lot of your wages from the chemical factory by going up to the <laughs> Hacienda and spending your money there? Yeah. I mean, you know, I um, didn't have to give my mum very much money to live at her house. Uh, I spent all my wages on on records and and, and going to gigs. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Hacienda. Was, was decent. It started out as a, a venue. I, I mean, um, so Orange Juice there, so The Fall, um, uh, Psychic TV, Delight, saw all those bands at the Hacienda, a certain ratio a couple of times. Some, you know, some great bands, you know. Amazing. And not long after that, you were doing it yourself.
But were you playing music when you when you left school, or, or did you just kind of gradually get into that? No, I, I in bands. Um, lot, m- most of the time, doing cover versions of you know New Order or The Cult or <laughs> The Fall. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was in lots of bands. Um, most notably, uh, a band called the Electric Crane Set. Uh, I managed to get a support slot for a band called the Charlatans, um, mm-hmm. who I really liked. Um, but didn't know at the time that they were looking to get rid of their singer. So, mm. and the and the rest is history. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the next phase comes through the Manchester stuff and um, Stone Roses and the Mondays and y- yourself in 1990 put out your debut record. Yeah, it must have been so exciting to suddenly go from I guess from playing small shows to being on top of the pops in a short time. It really was. I mean, we didn't go on top of the pops with uh, the only one I know because we were. I mean, we were busy and proud to sort of like say, you know, we're not going to cancel our show. So many people have come to see us. Uh, can you play the video? So they did. And then, you know, with the fo- our follow-up uh, song called Then, uh, you know, we actually met, did our debut on Top of the Pops. And that, it, was, it was fantastic. Um, you know, it was everything that I'd ever dreamed of, really. Um, I mean, I was really proud um, that my musical education had been that of... New Order Factory, Tony Wilson, Granada Reports. And I'm going to say my mum, because um, my mum used to work in, they call it a paper shop, but a news agent. It was in our local village. And um, at least once a week, twice a week, Alan Erasmus uh, would come in and buy his paper. And uh, Alan was also a director of the Hacienda and, uh, you know, director of Factory Records. And occasionally Tony Wilson would come in. And uh, uh, coming with him, and my mum used to sort of like, you know, these my mum's really chatty. Was she so going like, how Tim likes music? <laughs> exactly, and that's what she said. Amazing. And he, and and he said, really, uh, how old is how old is your son? It's like, well, he's going to be sixteen. Uh, do you want to do, uh, do you want to come to his birthday party? And it's like, oh, I don't think we can make it. But um, <laughs> uh, i come in. I'll bring some. I'll bring some presents for him. And he brought Low Life, uh, two Jurati Column records, and uh, White Label of Confusion. And a really nice sort of like you know it was all signed by everybody. And yeah, wow. Hacienda badges and you know certain ratio badges and stuff like that. And it was just like an amazing thing. And she was the coolest person in the world, as far as I was concerned. Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, great. That's that's wonderful. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Uh, other stuff that was going on around '83. I noticed another band that I reckon is influential, and I think you've said this before, is a band called Prisoners. Who? Wow. Uh, who had a record out in 83 as well. Wow. That heavy con- uh, it's the one with, it's Wiser, Miser, not, Miser, I never know how to say it, but that one, which has kind of got um, that real organy kind of voxy, organy kind of sound, which I think yeah. you, you tip your hat to that stuff a little bit in the Charlatans, I'd say, particularly early on when you were doing oh. all the Hammond stuff you were playing. such a contrasting sound to the one that we've been talking about um you know this is like real sort of um i guess you know wannabe 60s band 
or you know a band that just based themselves on the sort of you know uh, uh, the sound of the sixties and more revival uh, kind of thing is it? And I love them too, and I loved the sixties, and I also loved the fifties. You know, I loved I, I had records by um, you know Chuck Berry and and um, and uh, Eddie Cochran and all, you know and, and lots of stuff by uh, Small Faces and you know and, and 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 New Order and I had a skateboard and it was just all this. Like, I guess it was just. From, you know everything from everywhere, really. When you can glue all those different ideas together, and it yeah, starts exactly. becoming a kind of new, interesting thing. Yeah. collaborations that are really different as well because I wanted to ask you about um, did you do one of your solo records with Kurt Wagner from Lamb Chop? I sure did, yeah. Like you and him on paper seems like such a strange idea. It's crazy, but it's cool. Well, I was a fan of uh, a friend of mine gave me a, um, a cassette and and I think 98 I thought this is amazing and just you know uh, um I really got into them and they became my favorite band and and um Kurt did a solo album in Manchester and I went I went to visit him uh, and you know to be supportive of his, of his solo stuff and and it was the quietest gig I've ever been to and I thought it was just amazing and he had a bad back and he was carrying his arm and I said stop you know I'll roadie for you so I, I roaded his arm um to his van and uh and as he was getting away to drive I said we should do something together one day um and he said uh okay you write the music and I'll do the lyrics which you know oh I'd always done the lyric garlatans and uh and I thought okay that sounds interesting it took 10 years yeah, right. to actually do it. And did you write the music and he wrote the lyrics? Yeah. You were like the Elton John and Bernie Taupin of the... <laughs> exactly that. So I said to him, Kurt, it's finally going to happen. I'm going to come to Nashville. Uh, what do you think? Are you free over the next few weeks? And, uh, and he said he was. And he didn't really know what it was about. But I, I booked myself into a hotel, a hotel that he suggested. And I got there and I met him for a coffee on the following morning. And I said, do you want to do uh, some songs? And um, he said, yeah, we'll do a pile. And um, I go, okay. And um, uh, so I went to the hotel, wrote some music with, you know, with a melody and a few lyrics here and there. And he sent me something back. 
like within a few hours and I sang those words, sent them back to him and he thought they were really great and it was ready to record, basically. We, just, we did three or four during that one trip and I went over there in the May and I recorded 10 songs in September. be nice having that sort of different freedom of of being able to sort of work outside of the charlatans with your solo stuff you kind of deliberately sort of do you sort of compartmentalize the uh, the charlatan stuff from your solo things are you kind of trying okay well this will work as a solo project or this will work as a charlatan song or how does that work i like to write and sometimes there's no outlet for it um uh charlatans run a bit of a Okay, so uh, our drummer John was ill um, for, I mean, you know, he he, he passed away, but um, he, he was ill for quite a long time in the early 2000 and, you know, 10, 11, 12, you know, mm. that, that sort of time. And and um, and there was no real outlet for the charlatans. We, we, you know, we tried to do some stuff together, but it just was hard. You know, it was a real struggle mm. um, for quite a few years. And um, because... John wanted to be involved, but he just actually couldn't physically do it. So it, I, I just kept writing, and and so it was it was the it was that time um, that I had that I just wrote for this project with me and Kurt, and that's how I do my solo records. Really, it's like I, I do if it's time to do a Charlatans record, I'll just write and give it everything to the Charlatans. And if if it's not time to do a Charlatans record, I just keep writing and, and see what's going to work on my next solo record. Yeah, good stuff. And you you found a home on Bella Union Records, which is a nice That's fit. Right. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, you know, I love the roster. It's really great. I think they treat everyone really, really well. And I find it quite a joy, yeah. I watched a, a rather uh, fetching documentary on Rockfield Studios last year talking about the right. history of that place you know that they're it, set up by the some old farmers a couple of, and, and the rival studios set up on that and, and I know that you spent quite a bit of time at Rockfield um, yeah we're talking about the ups and downs of, of the band obviously the tragedy that happened um, with your original keyboard player Rob and when you were at Rockfield Studios there must have been just I can't imagine how heartbreaking that whole situation would have been. But um, how did you come back from that, where you lost um, someone who was such a, a fundamental part of the of the sound of the band? Then um, to come back and make some amazing records after that time as well. Um, I mean, it was tricky. Um, obviously, 
But um, he kind of given us some indication of what life was like without him because he ended up going. To, he ended up going to jail. Oh yes. Um, oh dear. <laughs> not, not for as long as he thought. Um, but I actually, he spent four months in jail when we were making the album up to our hips, and uh, so we had to finish that off without him. It was just very strange, you know. Um, I don't know how he ended up. Um, you know, I mean, he, he was the most naturally gifted in the band, really. Um, and he was also um, the eldest in the band. So he, he was like basically, and also, you know, he was playing something that was like the lead. So it was like, you know, uh, the Hammond was the lead instrument. Oh, for sure. Uh, so he was the leader. I was the new lad, you know, and me and him wrote a lot of songs together and, and became a uh, close friends really fast and we used to get into you know you know little bits of trouble and mm. but we had a great time and and uh, and then you know after coming back from japan and getting involved doing this um robbery that wasn't really an armed robbery well it, it was but it kind of you know i think there was a whole lot of like it, you know no one really knew what was going on and i think i don't know what was going on. Anyway, anyway we just got told that you know, he wasn't coming to rehearsals the next day because he'd been arrested and ended up going to jail and then he came out and he was a different person but we you know made an album immediately which was charlatans by the charlatans it felt like we'd all solidified and come back together as a as a, you know as a unit and um and then after that he kind of like you know he just kind of went off the rails a little bit after that um there was just always something to worry about um when, when we were making telling stories he would work different shift than everybody else so we would try and do try and do daytimes you know but it would lead into sort of like very early mornings um and then he would start at about two o'clock in the morning and, and finish it about midday it would be a, a real odds with what everyone else in the band were doing and he brought his own engineer in and oh wow yeah it was, it was very strange but but we thought well if it's working it's working but it's like you know he wanted to work like that way and and um and then you know it was, we went out one you know i don't know whether this is a good story or not because I, i'm i'm always filled with trepidation about the outcome you know obviously even even now uh mm. and um he died at the bottom of the gates at Rockfield um, in a car crash in a field and um, yeah it was it was very sad That's... he was irreplaceable but we found somebody who could hold his own and in between that we were helped out by Martin Duffy from Primal Scream um, mm. and he helped finish the album and do the shows with Oasis that you know the, the Nebworth show and stuff like that so I mean I, I hope it's a, a story of interest um, I don't tell it very well because I find it very hard to talk about you know? mm. but I do because um, yeah I'm sorry for bringing it up in a way but it's a, it's it is part of the story of the band and the and the, yeah, yeah, and, and, and the the way that you come back from that and make more records and kind of keep and, and bigger records yeah. in a way than the, 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 yes. the records and kind of keep keep going in the same way that I guess you know Joy Division became New Order and they continue on through having some tragedy within the band there you've managed to kind of continue and keep growing and changing things and 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 doing what you love doing maybe they um, helped um, you know teach in that situation too you know yeah for sure.
so you, you've gone on to do lots of other more interesting things. And recently, of course, uh, you've kind of got a name for yourself from this, this Twitter listening party stuff that you've been doing, which I know some bands yeah. I've worked with over the years have kind of um, been thankful for the exposure that you've given to some, some of those <laughs> records over the, over the years. Because, you know, these oh, days... Wow. These days, there's no Top of the Pops, there's, you know, there's no yeah. John Peel, there's no Melody Maker or any of those things to, to who are there to shout about records. I know you've focused on mainly sort of old records, but you've done some new records as well on the Tim's Twitter listening party. For anyone who doesn't know yeah. what that is, because you just want to sort of fill us in, what, how that came about and what it's all about. Uh, it came about m mostly... Uh, in a way that people will know about it uh, in, in lockdown, during lockdown, um, I thought that it was, I thought COVID was going to last for three weeks. So I programmed <laughs> uh, three weeks of listening parties um, where everyone in the world presses play at the same time with a record that is chosen uh, for that night with somebody who was, who had a, big part in the making of that record um so for instance the first one was charlatans and i did that the second one was franz ferdinand and alex capranos did that um and then bonehead uh from oasis and and i think uh dave brantree from blur so there were people that i knew uh wendy uh smith from prefab sprout a really good friend of mine she uh, you know uh, she uh, she did um steve mcqueen and you know so i had three weeks of listening parties for people to do. And, and what we would do, we would all listen at the same time while I tweeted and the person who was involved, say Bonehead or Dave Roundtree, tweeted along and shared memorabilia and stories about some of the biggest records of the time. You know, it seems to really help people during lockdown. I'd already been doing it with Charleston's albums for, for quite a few years, my solo albums too. Uh, but, but people don't need to know about the backstory. Um, Obviously, as it went on and lockdown went went uh, continued, um, I, I did like Twitter festivals where there'd be ten bands headlined wow. by the Breeders, John Grant, Boy George, uh, you know, just everybody came along to do it. it Stephen did all of the New Order ones. Hooky did all of the Joy Division, Joy Division ones. Uh, Paul McCartney did his latest <laughs> album. We, had, we we realized, we realised that um, it couldn't be nostalgic. You know, it couldn't just be old records. So with after the first three weeks, we were doing all new records, you know, because people couldn't get reviewed. Lots of the journalists were on furlough. So everyone who had a new album coming out, we did a listening party for. Great, because no one's doing gigs, of course, as well. Yeah. You know, So the, the promo has kind of come to a full yeah. stop. So Everyone wanted music, new music, old music. And it was, it was just massive, you know. Well, it's wonderful. It's got been as, as successful as it has. Are you going to continue with it still? Oh yeah, no, uh, you know, there's, there's, they happen nightly, you know, yeah. I mean, unless I'm playing gig, they happen, they happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's changed a lot now because people kind of like request them for the week of release when their album's out. So it's a new album. Can we do a listening party as well as, you know, as well as doing a feature with you guys or, you know, enemy or whatever, mm. you know, um, uh, so it's just part of the publicity uh, publicity machine. Let's call it a machine. You know of um, what people want to do, and, I, and I'm really grateful to that. And for any Australian listeners, um, it's, it has been a little bit tricky for us to do the live 
live one because it's like three o'clock yeah. in the morning or something, but you can listen to it on, you can do a lot of sort of live-ish replay afterwards, can't you? Which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. it because that was the game changer, the replay um, one, because that actually has a chart and, and um, you know, the, the biggest replay, was Iron Maiden? I mean, he did seventy-one thousand replays like, uh, in twenty-four, hours, which was like ridiculous. Uh, but most of them were in Paraguay, Chile, you know, Argentina. Heavy metal is so big in South America. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. while I was sleeping, it's just nuts. Um, and uh, they, they've done two listening parties, and they're, they're, they're the biggest—they're the biggest two on the replays. Coming up soon is is your return to Melbourne. You, you've got some dates over yeah. here. You've played here before, obviously. Yeah. What's your experience been yeah. previously of um, your Melbourne shows? Uh, well, I mean, it's my favourite city in um, in Australia. Uh, we, we've always had a really, you know, just a really great time there. And um, I just can't wait to come again, really, you know. Other Australian shows um, as well. So I think you're playing like Brisbane and Sydney and the usual places as well. same time too oh yeah tell, um, tell us about that it's a double album i recorded it at rockfield which is kind of quite amazing it's like the first time i've been back to rockfield in a while and um you know it just kind of like soaked up the experience and i would um make a cup of tea in the morning and go and stand in the field where you know rob passed and sort of like just you know just chat in a way you know i mean helen o'hara from dex has played on it nissan sawney pearl charles really, really exciting record a thing excellent and that's coming out later this year coming out the day i leave for australia and there's a few teaser tracks out already i noticed oh yeah typical music and here comes the weekend yeah. around sounding oh, great yeah so maybe you can do some uh, solo sideshows whilst you're over here as well well i was hoping so yeah certainly dj sets i'm sure belly union will be happy if i talk about it <laughs> yeah yeah no we look forward to hearing the, the full album very soon yeah. it's good stuff Cool. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks for spending yes. time and sharing your um, favorite record from 1983, 1983 with us. Um, yeah, my pleasure. I mean, what a great, what a great record to talk about. Yeah, amazing. Thanks so much for that, Tim. Good luck with the tour when you're coming over here. It's been great. Take it easy. Cheers. Thanks, Cheers. See you later. What a splendid chat that was. I really liked having a chat with him. He's a top gent, I think. So there's Tim Burgess solo album coming out soon. Around about the time he's touring, actually. Yeah, yeah, so he's okay. coming over to tour in Australia from the 8th of October, is it? Yes, yeah, so Metropolis Touring are bringing them out. They kick off in Sydney at the Manning Bar. That's sold out. Also, the Croxton in Melbourne is sold out, but they're playing in Adelaide and Brisbane, and Perth is sold out as well. Jump onto Metropolis Touring if you want to go and see the charlatans. Mm, good stuff. Cool. So your next tune, is it? My next tune, I told you I was going to play an Aussie one. I reckon you know who it is. I'll set it up, 1983. 
The song was written in London. Right. Yeah. And I'll give you a big clue. Apparently, the singer-songwriter was sharing a flat with Nick Cave. Oh, right. Right? Apparently, Nick Cave had just um, shot up a whole bunch of heroin. Ooh. And went and uh, laid down on the bed. And this guy picked up Nick Cave's acoustic guitar and came out with this song, which is a bit of an Australian classic. All right. Let me play it. Let's see if I've got the right song here. Giuseppe, I got something special yeah. for you. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, hey, Nico, I got something especially for you. <laughs> that was 81, Gareth. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me actually see if I can guess mm. it. Uh, let me go uh, here and play this one. Beer number four. Song four.
Go-betweens, Cattle and Cane. And that's a very iconic Australian song. And it's funny because the imagery of the lyrics is so Australian. And I guess in a way, Queensland, like the Mm. cane fields. Mm. And I can understand why he wrote that in London. Because apparently he wrote, you know, saying he wrote it in London. And he was homesick. Okay. All right. That makes sense. You know? Okay. It's a great uh, song. My understanding is there's three verses and it's sort of about, you know, him being a child, the first one, and then being an adolescent and then being being an, an adult. Mm, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I'll probably have to listen to the lyrics a bit closer yeah. next time. And the, the go-betweens are very influential. Like, uh, you know, Bell and Sebastian were massive fans. and Yeah, they, they never really got their dues in no. UK, really. Neither here. Right. But they okay. actually did. I think they named a bridge after them. In There is the go-between bridge. The go-between yeah. bridge. Yeah, well, yeah. that's just good from a practical point of view. Yeah. The bridge, it's go-between between two sides. but Some other big films that came out. Yeah. National Lampoon Vacation, oh, which was a classic. Gareth, I would have watched that. Like, God, I would have stayed up till 8.30 in 1983 to watch. Um, that's Chevy Chase. Yeah. Christy Brinkley was in that just from, oh, really? uh, off from memory, oh, I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was driving in, yeah. in Spain recently and yeah. I recreated the scene from European Vacation <laughs> where he drives around the roundabout like, three or four times because I was I couldn't drive on the other side of the who, road. Who was, was in your car? Oh, family, you know, <laughs> we're like, turn off there. All right, one more time round the round. Turn yeah, off right. there. Okay. So that was quite amusing. Yeah. And weirdly, there were two James Bond films that came out that year. Yeah. One was Octopussy. Yeah. With um, Roger Moore. Yeah. And they also did um, Never Say Never Again with uh, Sean Connery. As really? a rival production company, put two James Bond films really? out that year. So yeah. Sean Connery was he doing. Did a, he did a comeback. At the same year as, uh, as uh, Roger Moore films. Oh, I weird? didn't know that. Should I play some also rounds before I play my final tune? Are we up to your last tune, are we? I think we? we are. So let's play a bit of this. This was his yeah. uh, debut, probably cassette rather than record at the time. Yeah. Do you hear the frog? Huh? How are you? Hi-Fi sound of Daniel Johnson. Yeah. Um, Hi, How Are You was the album, which came yeah. out in 1983. And he was brought to prominence by Kurt Cobain. Uh, started wearing, wearing the, this, uh, that T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. And, and do you remember, Gareth, we saw him at that festival mm. in um, All Tomorrow's Parties. Mm. He would have been about like 50 or 60 then. Mm. It was, I mean, he was he's passed away now, but he's a mentally ill man who- could um, write some crazy tunes. Yeah, I you know, like you know um, Yola Tango covered him. You know, yeah, Have you right. heard I think that? it was an album of covers. Yeah, of speeding and, motorcycle. Yeah. They and cover that, and it's incredible. They're great songs. And there's a nice doco about him as well. The Devil kind of, and Daniel yeah, Johnson. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. Then an insight into yeah. Um, this stuff was happening as well. Street dance, street dance, street dance. 
very different from Daniel Johnson. <laughs> um, that wasn't Eddie Grant, was no, it? No, no, no. 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 So that's, that's breakdance stuff. So the breakdance, oh, okay. breakdancing was coming to like, that's a song called Street Dance. I remember going to school discos at the time when people were trying to breakdance. Yeah, like spinning on their heads and yeah, hurt themselves and <laughs> stuff. Try and do it. Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right. Um, that's breakdance uh, or street dance, breakdancing. Um, but I'm going to play my last tune. Yeah. And we haven't actually played him before. We've played a cover of him before. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the tracks off his debut record. Okay. Which I think he- In 1983. Yeah. Okay. Which I think yep. he um, gave to John Peel in person. This yeah. is not an obvious one from his first uh, track. Yeah. I, I like this one. Be number five. Song five. It's that summer of the evening. Get ready and roll the cassette. There's boys outside preaching genocide and trying to think up some sort of threat. And the ladies in the cloakroom take no notice of me. I wish myself was back at home, but there's nothing safe in watching TV. There's something born tomorrow that I lost when I was out for a drink. How many games is it gonna take to change the way I think? It takes more than good intentions and a big bloke on the door. Though it's never the same after the first time It doesn't stop them coming back for more Fighting in the dance halls happens anyway Sometimes it makes me stop and think Sometimes it makes me turn away Sometimes it makes me stop and think Sometimes it makes me turn away Sometimes it makes me stop and think But most times it makes me run away yeah, nice little short one there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's off um, Billy's debut record, Life's a Riot with Spy vs. Spy. So I love it. The story goes he um, he pestered John Peel and came down with a curry and gave it to him and gave him his CD, isn't it? I don't, it wouldn't have been a CD back then. So, gave, him, gave him a cassette. A cassette. Yeah, 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 a, yeah. yeah. And the, the rest is history. Yeah. Um, love a bit of Billy. Yep. Uh, New England was the big single off that one, right? Yeah, I could have played that one, which I love. Well, no, obviously. But um, I thought I'd play that one. It's called Lover's Town Revisited. Cool. So you're going to play your final one, yeah? Or are you going to do some also rounds? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's so many things I could have played. I'll just reel you off a whole bunch. Um, David Bowie, Let's Dance, which was filmed in the Australian Outback. Yeah. The film clip for that. Elvis Costello, Every Day I Write the Book. Yeah, that was 83. Um, Dolly and Kenny, Islands in the Stream. Um, say, 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 Michael Jackson and Paul, and McCartney, Paul McCartney off Pipes of Peace. Yeah, he was doing his collaborations around them, wasn't he? Yep, um, 99 Luftballoons. Yeah. I'm going to give you a couple of also rands. See if you can pick who this one is. This is quite an interesting one. We used to cry about the day when one of us might fall. We can blindly into another's arms Demands of gain from jealousies Would flow like water Drowning us but leaving us Now you don't know who that is, Gareth? No Okay Like it sounds so 1983 Is it Aussie? No, it's British Mm, And they weren't big at the time They were a bit of a flop at the time And he, he went on to very, very big, big things it's not Ricky Gervais, is it? It is Ricky Gervais' oh, band. That, that, wow. that was a good guess. You probably looked, though. No, I didn't. But, but I didn't. That, that's Siona dancing. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. actually, let's listen to a bit more. 
young pretty boy isn't that just bizarre anyone who doesn't know that needs to go and look at it on youtube because he looks like lamar from kajagoo yeah 20 years later he wrote the office yeah okay that's one of my also rounds. okay what else you got now i thought um i'd give you um a couple of aussie ones that you don't that you don't know you won't know them do you remember in the 81 version i played um a guy called ross wilson from daddy cool yeah yeah in 83, he wrote a song for his wife, Pat Wilson. See if you recognise a very, very famous Aussie in the film clip to this. Oh, yeah. We're watching it on YouTube. Um, tell me who it is. That was um, Pat Wilson, Bop Girl, and the reason I played it there, it had a 15-year-old Nicole Kidman in the film mm. film clip, one of her first ever appearances on um, any celluloid. Yeah, right. She's having a ciggy before BMX Bandits and all that sort of all stuff. Right, of course, that's where she made her name yeah. BMX Bandits. And I've got one more Aussie one that I'm going to put you through just because I think these guys were actually Kiwi. It was one of those songs that was on Countdown Forever. Don't know that one? No idea. There was a band called Dragon. Do you remember um, Scott Morrison, the PM, who's just been axed, thank God? No, I don't know who you're talking about. Do you remember he he tried to appeal to show his softer side by playing April Sun in Cuba on his- On his ukulele. Yeah, that's another song song by Dragon. Oh, right. Nice one. I do have one more also ran. Was that 83? Yeah, they did Blister in the Sun in 83, I'm pretty sure. <gasps> I didn't realise it was that early. It's that old, isn't it? Yeah, okay. All right, but I better get on to my bloody um, last song. Come on. And as I said, Gareth, this is one of the first singles I ever bought, right? So I would have been six and I bought two singles, right? One was Red Red Wine by UB40. Yeah, okay. And the other one was this one. Song six.
Love it. Yeah. So it was, of course, Herbie Hancock Rocket. Rocket. And he was an accomplished jazz musician mm. who'd, um, you know, played with Miles Davis and Watermelon Man was his big one from yeah. the 60s. And then he came out with that. And what about this for a bit of trivia, Gareth? Do you know who did the film clip? You remember the film clip? All the, like, oh, yeah, sort vaguely. of heads standing around. Yeah. Godly and Cream oh, okay, from yeah. 10CC. Yep. They were making lots of records. Uh, they they, they became of- a um, production company doing film clips. They, they did. did They did the film clip to Rocket. So mm. how about that for a closer? Very cool. I think I had that on a compilation. Yeah, uh, okay. You know, when you had Hits of 83 or yeah. something, I'm pretty sure I had uh, Herbie Hagman. Hey, do you know, that? that's just jogged my memory, Gareth. Me and my brother bought an album called Up in Lights, 1983. Did you get the Now That's What I Call Music compilations? No, okay, no, I think no, that Now no. That's What I Call Music came out then as well. I reckon that's where most people got their music from, yeah, those course. compilation records. All right, what a cracker of We're a season. We're done for the season. Let's do the mini recap. We had Baxter Jury, David Gedge from the uh, Wedding Present. Then we had, we had Angry, Angry Anderson. Anderson. Oh, that was an interesting one, wasn't it? Bloody oh. hell. And that was a great chat. And then we hung out with Ross backstage we for did, the we, More Cheaper Yeah, we did, we did a live one with Ross, in the More Cheaper guitarist in person, which was cool. And then, unfortunately, we had our first cancellation, which meant we did that special last yeah, week. Yeah, Which is yeah, uh, kind of yeah. cool to do, the Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll special. Yeah. And finishing up with the lovely Tim Burgess. Yeah. So. Another great season. Season yep. six, isn't it? Six, Ooh, six packs. Six, six packs done. We're going to have a little break now and uh, we'll come back yeah. fresh with some new interviews. We'll, um, we'll see you on the other side. Do you know how often we close the season with um, the theme song, One Six Pack a Six to Pack go. to Go, yeah. Hank Thompson. Yeah. He's got another song. It might um, be right up our alley. All right. We'll see you next season and we'll leave you with this one. Yeah. So bad this morning, oh, but I won't be feeling bad too long. I'm headed for Hangover Tavern. My head is heavy, my spirit's kinda low, and every time I feel this way to Hangover Tavern. Talking about the shades are pulled down to keep the sunshine out. The beer is cold in a frosty cup. The good bartender cheers you up, saying, Hey, Lordy, me, if you feel bad this morning, then watch your blues just fade away at Hangover Tavern today. to go.